according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We are in Proverbs chapter 9, and we will start with a word of prayer. Almighty Father, we come before you this morning, uh, undeserving of even being here. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. We ask, Father, in your mercy, you might provide an hour's worth of teaching. If, in fact, you uh, graciously allowed that to happen, Father, I pray that the word would not be impaired by any confusion or amnesia or issues with respect to the pastor, with respect to the students, or any other human limitations. Father, let the Holy Spirit uh, apply his omnipotence to teach us this truth. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 9, verses 13 through 18, the final warning that uh, parents give to their children, Uh, the last word, if you will, as uh, the young man gets ready to move out of the house and whatever else, is this woman of folly. Now, we've seen her before. We've seen her repeatedly in in previous chapters. She was called a strange woman. She was called a foreign woman. She was called an adulteress. Uh, There are different uh, ways to describe uh, this. And here we have a very unique term, the woman of folly. And so point four in our outline is where we left off. The parental wisdom section of Proverbs concludes with one final glimpse of the woman of folly. We've seen her before. We've seen her unstable ways. We've seen her uh, seduction. We've seen the warnings saying, uh, you, you want no business with that. Leave that alone. Uh, God will provide for you your own uh, cistern, your own well. You can drink from that. Uh, in the, the metaphor of chapter 5, which says uh, uses the metaphor of the well and, and the drinking water to communicate that. Um, but here's our final look. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by, who are making their path straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she says... Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. All right, so now of all the sections, this one's, again, fairly short. I think there's five overall sections here that starts with a short one, ends with a short one. They have the longer ones in between, chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 8. They're a little bit longer in the the middle sections. Uh, This is somewhat shorter again. But I think it spells out and summarizes everything that we've studied before. I call her by the Hebrew name Asheth, or Asheth Kisiluth. And I just like saying Kisiluth. Why do I like saying Kisiluth? I don't know, it just seems silly to me. But Kisiluth, K-I-C-I-Y, that's the kissy part. L-U-W-T-H, that's the Luth part, all right? So I will apologize if you know someone named Lulu or Lucy or, or Luthien or something. Uh, I, I'm not intending to insult. Another benefit is is rather than choosing a name of someone that might be in the room with you when you're preaching, that can insult somebody. So, uh, Asheth Kisiluth. And, and until I come face to face with my very first Asheth Kisiluth by a given name, I'm fairly safe in preaching this. Asheth Kisiluth. She is rowdy, she is naive, and she's completely ignorant. She knows nothing. And the worst part is she thinks she knows everything. All right? 
She is rowdy, naive, and does not know anything. This is the vocabulary that we have. I, I used rowdy. The New American Standard uses boisterous. I think rowdy is the Holman rendering on that, which I liked. Uh, there's other renderings in the, in the New King James and King James. Rowdy, naive, and does not know anything. Now that's a problem for anybody, but it's a problem particularly because it fly, for women as it flies in the face of what the feminine role is designed to be. It is designed, it flies in the face of what it is that should be attractive. What it is that should be attractive to God, the meek and quiet spirit, which is choice and precious in the sight of God, but also in the sight of men, in the sight of a, of, uh, of a husband, in the sight of a suitor, or someone that would be attracted to her femininity, you see, not attracted to her masculinity. All right? She has not prepared a home. She has not prepared a wholesome meal. She does not lead maidens. She is the living, living antithesis of prudence, knowledge, and discretion. In fact, you can almost see the parallel there between naive, uh, rowdy, naive, and ignorant, right? Between prudence, knowledge, and discretion. So as we look at it here, and we read the verses already, verses 13 through 18, look what's absent. Contrast this woman with the earlier woman of the chapter, with wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. Did, did Lady Folly, did, has she made these kind of preparations? She has hewn out her seven pillars. Wow, that's a lot of work. That's a ton of work. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. What did, what did Asheth Kisiluth do, right? Asheth Kisiluth. Again, I just love saying kiss, Kisiluth. Only because the kissy part sounds like kissy, right? Like the verb to kiss, to smooch, you know, Kisiluth. Anyway. So yeah, she's all about the kissy luth, the loose woman in her kissing, all right, but not about the stability that is a man and a woman together in marriage, in raising a family, in glorifying Jesus Christ, in fulfilling their role for the uh, imaging of God in uh, the design of marriage. What else has she not done? She's not prepared a home. She's not prepared a wholesome meal. Also in verse 3, she has sent out her maidens. And she calls from the tops of the heights of the city. There's no reference to the maidens, to the virgins. That's what a maiden is. That's a virgin, right? Um, Kissy Luth is not taking the spiritual leadership of younger sisters or, or nieces or cousins or, or um, younger virgins under her wing, all right? What a contrast, see? And, and we have it here in Proverbs. We have it in Song of Solomon. We have it elsewhere. The concept that the older women are to encourage the younger women, all right? I mean, even in the New Testament, we have that in Titus, right? The idea that uh, how many times in Song of Solomon does, does uh, Shulamith warn the daughters of Jerusalem, do not arouse or awaken love until she pleases? That it's the warning on, on purity, on godliness, on, on the, the preservation of, of their virginity and all the issues there, all right? That's what keeps them in the maiden's harem, okay? Is, is uh, their purity and, and their honoring of their responsibilities to their parents in the regard there, all right? And this is a, a concept that uh, the more frequently we teach, I mean, it ought to be a no-brainer. And, and perhaps because, you know, we're of a, of a Christian nature and we have exposure to the scriptures and maybe we're of an older generation in some respects, we're preaching stuff that's just alien to this world in which we live, all right? 
this world has no concept for why why virgins would would why a husband and wife would want to be virgins on their wedding day why it is that uh for example the very first kiss between a man and a woman might be you may kiss the bride see if if someone tells you that you think wow you're you're crazy you're insane you're you're some kind of a a freak from from uh uh you know the puritan days of of the <laughs> of whatever all right well now wait a minute okay see what the old testament says See what the, the scripture says. In fact, uh, a, a girl could be stoned for um, misrepresenting herself in the, in the marriage contract. All right? Because she played the harlot in her father's house. Because she brought discredit upon the, the state of Israel. All right? It's a big deal in, uh, in the scriptures. So she does not lead maidens. And that's... Uh, significant as well let's go back to proverbs 1 4 and see what the issue is here with respect to this folly remember the woman of folly i mentioned a week ago kissiluth is a feminine form of a kassil kassil is the masculine adjective that, that is one of three adjectives in the book of proverbs for the fool is a kassil all right also nabal and there's three terms total for the fool in the book of Proverbs. But the kassil is the masculine form, and kissiluth uh, gives it a feminine ending, which I'm taking as a proper name. Um, I'm taking it that way. It's, there's no problem with the translation, woman of folly. Um, but in Proverbs 1, 4, you'll notice, the purpose for studying Proverbs is to give prudence to the naive and to the youth knowledge and discretion these are the three ingredients the three provisions you should obtain prudence knowledge and discretion and the more you study proverbs the more you memorize it study it dwell upon it the more you adopt the book of proverbs in your daily life that god's provision for you is going to be prudence knowledge and discretion all right and this is uh what we deal with here this is what's provided to the naive to the youth to the fool if he will accept it okay the problem is fools don't when you look at verse 7 the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and instruction the kassil or in our chapter the kissiluth despises the very truth that exposes them for what they are absolutely despises the aspect of despising whereby you value it as worthless despising is the opposite of glorifying all right in glorifying you communicate the high regard you hold to something in despising you communicate the low regard the worthless regard that you hold to something so if you're going to glorify god you're going to communicate how highly you honor him how highly you respect him if you're going to despise the lord you just count him as worthless say hey it's not worth my time not worth uh not worth anything that's what a fool will do towards this wisdom and so when we talk about asheth kissiluth we start off by observing that she is everything the uh lady wisdom is not <laughs> right uh they're polar opposites all right so there's this kind of woman and there's that kind of woman just to put it bluntly and when you're training your children you're training your sons or your daughters okay you want this kind of man or that kind of man? You want this kind of woman or that kind of woman? 
and uh, as far as, as who God would lead you to date and, and, and marry, this, is, uh, this gets very practical, I think, very quickly. All right. Secondly, Asheth Kisiluth is fundamentally lazy. <laughs> and she's inherently corruptive. Inherently corruptive. The idea that she's just sitting there, waiting, right? The idea that, that she's just sitting there, in this chapter anyway. There's, in a previous chapter, she was roaming about and the knucklehead had to walk past her house three or four times until he finally caught her at the right moment. Uh, but in this chapter, we see all of the work, all of the labor, all of the preparations. How much has been done by Lady Wisdom in order for her to issue her invitation? She has done so much. See, but the woman of folly is just the opposite. She's just sitting at the doorway. How much preparation does that take? All right, she uh, she's providing nothing of benefit. Not like she's providing uh, what Lady Wisdom is providing. Right? She she's not going to edify her victim. The invitations sound similar. Come come on in. Right. But when Lady Wisdom offers the invitation to come on in, it's because she has something to provide, what she has prepared. The, the, the believer, of course, benefits when you accept Lady Wisdom's invitation. But when you accept this lady's invitation, this seduction, you get nothing. You get death, is what you get. Calling to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight. And so I, I see her sitting... And I see that she's strategically placed. The emphasis seems to be in verse 14 that it's uh, at the doorway of her house, so she's not going far from her lair. And it's on a seat by the high places of the city. In other words, it's strategically placed. Whereas when um, Lady Wisdom sends uh, her maidens out, there's the tops of the heights of the city and there's different places that are, that are pictured there corruptive. Is she going to edify her, her, her house guest or is she going to corrupt her house guest? Is this a gathering together for the better or for the worse? Okay, It's for the worse. It is a victimization entirely. See. What else? Asheth Kisiluth engages in external activity somewhat comparable to Lady Wisdom. But the internal heart attitude is diametrically opposed. The internal heart attitude is diametrically opposed. Notice the language may seem the same. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. Right? And uh, what does it say in verse 4? Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. That's word for word. To him who lacks understanding. To him who lacks understanding. She says... And that's where the similarity stops, right? Because Lady Wisdom, to him who lacks understanding, she says, come, eat of my food, drink of the wine I have mixed, forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. That's a righteous invitation. That is uh, even evangelical, as we discussed last week and the week before. The nature of, of viewing this on an, uh, a soteriological level and understanding this as a, as a metaphor for the unbeliever receiving eternal life. Everything has been done. All you have to do is accept it. You contribute nothing to the, to the process. Whereas the woman of folly, she's uh, calling, uh, 
to those who pass by, who make their path straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, notice, stolen water is sweet. So the first words out of her mouth, stolen. <laughs> right? This is illicit. This is, uh, you know, that, what about thou shalt not steal? Well, never, never mind that. What about thou shalt not commit adultery? Oh, never mind about that. All right? Stolen water is sweet. Oh, come on. It'll be fun. Come on. It's, it's part of the thrill. It's part of the excitement. <clears throat> the internal heart attitude is diametrically opposed. The, the polar opposite. You couldn't get more opposite. I should highlight also the, the stress in verse 15. Who does she target? Those who are making their path stray. Why is that? Why is that? Why? I mean, it's just the opposite of Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom has an invitation to someone that's on the road to hell, right? To someone that's passing by. They're not coming. They're not, uh, they're not entering into the path of wisdom. Think about it. Who do you give the gospel to? Unbelievers, right? You know, mostly. I mean, you can, you can evangelize the saved also, but, but primarily... When you are evangelizing the lost, you are providing for this lost and dying world the only answer that they have, the only answer that God has provided. And so that's why we stress that when we said turn in here. They weren't headed that direction. No one in their own own strength or power or might or, or willingness ever comes to God on their own. No one wants to. But in response to the invitation, turn in here, they can turn a direction they weren't headed and they can come into wisdom's house. See? Now, likewise, or in the corollary here with Asheth Kisiluth. With Asheth Kisiluth, her target is not fellow fornicators. Her target is not the, the worldly guy, the, the, you know, the immoral man. You would think, since she's an immoral woman, if she, if all she wanted was some kind of a sex thing, she can find plenty of fellow, uh, you know, corresponding fornicators out there. All right, doesn't want any of those. What, what's the fun in that? Okay, think, think with me now. Think satanically, if you can. <laughs> think uh, in terms of the angelic conflict. Asheth Kisiluth is an agent of the adversary. All right? Yes, she's gratifying her own lust. Of course she's gratifying her own lust. And you say, so why does it matter whether she fornicates with a believer or an unbeliever? Whether she fornicates with, you know, a disciple or a non-disciple? See, why does she target the one that's making his path straight? Why is he particularly on her radar? Because she's calling to those who are making their path straight. You might even use that as the follow-up to the earlier verse. She's actually targeting those that are on the verge of answering wisdom's call. Trying to grab them before they're out of her grasp. Before, Because see, look, they're making their path straight. Well, who does that? Okay? Anyway. Don't be surprised. I was trying to tell Radley and Fallon this the other day. Don't be surprised if, if you're on the verge of, of, of something and they got a, she's got a trip to China coming up. Don't be surprised 
if uh, if you're on the verge of ordination, you're on the verge of accepting a pulpit, or you know, there's something that there's an open door set before you. What does Paul say? There's an a wide open door has been laid before me, and there are many adversaries. Don't be shocked if uh, you become the target because this is there. All right. So anyway, she is a victimizer. The internal heart attitude is diametrically opposed. And so she's looking, her target is those who are making their path straight. Get them involved in the sin. That, that doubles the fun and more so, right? You know, I mean, you can, you can have sex with whoever. Why pick this guy? See, and like I said before, there's no shortage of, of people that, that, that could sleep with her, that would sleep with her, that are carnally minded, that are unbelievers. That are, you know, there's no shortage of them. Why target these guys? Well, when you start thinking in terms of angelic conflict, I think more and more of it becomes clear. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret. Well, she, uh, she finds pleasure in these things. Why do you find pleasure in these things? What is pleasure anyway? <laughs> right? What is pleasure? And what, what in a woman gives a man pleasure? What in a man gives a woman pleasure, see? And thinking, of course, beyond the physical side, right? What gives the soul pleasure? What does a man take pleasure in in his wife's soul? What does a woman take pleasure in in her husband's soul? Find it interesting, all right? Asheth Kisiluth finds sweet pleasure in stolen and secret pursuits. She finds sweet pleasure in stolen and secret pl- pursuits. I think the, do- the definition of pleasure is one we need to examine. What, what, when God does all his good pleasure, what does that mean? It's a definition of sovereignty. He does whatever he pleases, which tells you that he can't do everything because he can't sin. He can't do that which he doesn't please, that which does not give pleasure to his soul. We are creatures in His image, and we have been, we have been blessed with appetites. We have been blessed with taste. We have been blessed. We find pleasure in things. There is food that tastes good, all right. And we're different in some respects. My wife thinks chocolate tastes good. I think, eh, I mean, okay, I guess. But I wouldn't cross the street for it if I got vanilla on this side of the street. I'll, you know, I take pleasure in vanilla. She takes pleasure in chocolate. I take pleasure in beef. She takes pleasure in chicken. You know, we have different tastes. There are smells that are good and smells that are not good. All right? So there's flavors, there's aromas, there's tastes, there's smells, there's sounds that sound great. Okay? Voices that sound great, songs that sound great or not. Okay, you know, who wants to listen to a Yoko Ono marathon, right, or whatever? Um, Anyway, when you find sweetness in what God finds repugnant, that's a problem, okay? If you take pleasure in what gives God no pleasure, that's a problem. And so, you know... The difference between marital sex and adultery. 
You say, well, it's, it's, sex is sex, right? No. The Bible doesn't call it that. Which is, which is why I think we need a different term. <laughs> it's called the marriage bed. And outside of that, it's called adultery. And it's unfortunate that we have, in English anyway, the same word for the, the physical activity that happens, whether you're married or not. See. So she finds this sweet pleasure in stolen and secret pursuits. Oh, come on, it'll be fun. What I think is remarkable is that it violates, of course, the entire chapter of Leviticus 18. It violates dozens of verses that speak of ownership. All right? Ownership. And there's another lost concept today. Legitimate children, illegitimate children, bastards, premarital sex, virginity. All of these things. Principles of ownership. In particular, why is, um, is, is uh, nakedness spoken of in terms of ownership? You ever think about that? Leviticus, let's look at Leviticus 18. See, and, and this is what the contrast is, because in contrast, there is nothing stolen or secret between a man and a woman in marriage. There's nothing stolen or secret. You're not hiding. You're not sneaking around. You're not hoping that her husband finds out or her father finds out or your wife finds out or your boss finds out. Or... Let me go to, uh, do I want to do Proverbs 5 first? Or... Let's do Leviticus 18 first. Let's do Leviticus. The reason why the Bible haters, the skeptics, the mockers, they want to, they want to just rip Leviticus out of their Bibles and act like it's not there. They'll ask you, do you eat shellfish? They'll ask you, do you eat pork? Right? And they think they've got a, a winning argument based on the fact that the New Testament uh, abrogates the dietary uh, matters of Mosaic law. And if the New Testament abrogates the dietary matters of Mosaic law, well then, Leviticus doesn't exist anymore. The whole book is now off the table. In fact, the whole Old Testament's off the table. Because Jesus never said, uh, you know, Jesus didn't condemn the homosexual. So if you get rid of Leviticus, you get rid of the Old Testament, you know, and then you turn Paul into a hater so you can ignore Romans and, and uh, anyway. Um, Leviticus 18. And we don't have to read the whole chapter because so much of it is redundant, uh, but we can get the points out of it here. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am Yahweh, your Elohim. You shall not do what was done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accord with them. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. All right. And so this is the difference. They are a holy people. They are to be different from these unholy people. They, are, they, they serve the Lord God. They are to be different from the pagans and their false gods. So you shall keep my statutes, my judgments, by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. There are benefits to obeying God's word, and there are consequences for defying God's word. Spiritual benefits, but also temporal benefits. Now, where does it start? And the whole chapter is about sex. All right. None of you shall, and, and, and why start there? Can we start with murder? Can we start with stealing? Can we start with thou shalt not? You know, why does it start? Why does the chapter begin? The whole chapter 
is wrapped up in every imaginable um, variation of, uh, of, of darkness here. All right. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your... Uh, let's see, start with verse 6. None of you shall approach any blood relative of his to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. All right? So we have an idiom, it's an expression. And it's called uncovering nakedness. All right? And that's a very PG way to, to communicate the activity. Because what happens when the clothes come off? Right? That's what it's as, as a metonymy. That's the figure of speech. If you are uncovering nakedness... You got a reason for doing that, all right? And it's an idiom that expresses sexual intercourse, all right? And so, amongst the relatives, that's, that's out of bounds, okay? Out of bounds. Uh, the Egyptians did it; other nations would do it. Not Israel. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father. That is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You are not to uncover her nakedness. So not only do we have the idiom of uncovering nakedness, but we also have the use of ownership. Who does that nakedness belong to? The nakedness belongs to the husband or the wife of the person you're, you're dealing with there. All right? So in other words, not only is uncovering the nakedness an idiom uh, representing sex, but it also speaks of a belonging, an ownership, a proprietary blessing that belongs to one person and nobody else. See? And so, uh, and it's repeated throughout this whole chapter. The nakedness of your father's wife. It's your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister. Either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter. Whether born at home or born outside. Their nakedness you shall not uncover. And this identifies, of course, that in polygamy you're going to have different mothers perhaps. You'll have, uh, you'll have concubines as well as wives. You'll have slaves as well as freeborn children. There's a lot of other variations and things that, that we don't necessarily have to worry about. Well, I guess we do because we've got remarriages and stepsisters and, and, and different things. And then grandchildren and then uncles and cousins and, and, uh, and other aspects here. But you'll notice, without reading the whole chapter, everything here is, um, there is possession. Who does that nakedness belong to? The husband or the wife and nobody else. And nobody else. See. Um, Obviously then there's other aspects. You've got uh, polygamy between sisters. You don't have a woman and her sister. Um, This is obviously years after Jacob made this mistake. Jacob married two sisters prior to the giving of the law. Um, Also the incest thing. Abraham married his half-sister. Okay. Again, that's prior to the giving of the law. Uh, bestiality, homosexuality, these things that are called abominations. And the reason why, they defile the land. They defile yourselves. There's so much here. Anyway, you got this chapter, you got chapter 19, you got chapter 20. All these chapters describe this. You'll notice... These things affect you and they affect the land. Verse 24 of this chapter, do not defile yourselves by any of these things. Well, come on, it'll be fine. All right? Now forget the pregnancy, forget the diseases, forget the whatever else. There is a spiritual defilement when your soul becomes so unstable as you've uh, engaged in this activity repeatedly 
you have been defiled. And it's for by all these, the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled. We're talking real estate now. Territory. Is Texas defiled? Is the United States of America defiled? Well, how promiscuous is our culture? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Is this land defiled? Why was this land ripped away from the Comanches and given to the Texans? Say, okay, the French, the Spanish, the Mexicans, the Texans, the Confederacy, the United States. And who's after us? When the seventh flag flies over Texas, who's it going to be? Because Yahweh Elohim says enough. I will vomit you out of my mouth. For the land has become defiled. Therefore I have brought its punishment upon it. So the land has spewed out its inhabitants. Land will vomit its inhabitants. You know, the, uh, this, this, by the way, is not just Old Testament. In New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote about this. We studied it in 1 Corinthians. He warned about the sexual sins. He said, every other sin you sin outside the body. That's the defilement of spirit. But he said the the fornicator sins against his own body. So we have to cleanse ourselves of all defilements of flesh and spirit. And uh, when when you uh, sin against your body, there's consequences. All right. And this is what she's finding her pleasure in. In contrast, there is nothing stolen or secret between a man and a woman in marriage. In Proverbs 5, verses 15 through 19. That's enough Leviticus for now, I guess. Proverbs 5. Fifteen through nineteen. Now this is the larger, maybe the largest of all. Well, yeah, this is probably the largest. Hard to say. Chapter seven's pretty long. In the descriptions of this harlot, of this woman, and the snare that she is, chapter five is pretty long. Um, Keep your way far from her, it says in Proverbs 5 eight. Do not go near the door to her house. You will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. What are you paying? What's the price you're paying? Strangers are filled with your strength. You groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. It's marvel. Yeah, you know, it's just a, it's, it boggles the mind the price people are willing to pay to keep having the fun they think they're having. You know. And uh, and whatever, even uh, there. I mean, there's a video of of Donald Trump talking about all the diseases he's caught with all the fornicating he's done. How sad is that? Uh, anyway, I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Proverbs five fourteen. But now the positive benefit: no sneaking, no hiding, no guilt, no shame, no kidding. The, the blessings of a man and a woman in marriage, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner. There it is. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. He watches all his paths. 
His own iniquities will capture the wicked. He will be held with the cords of his sin. This is the thing. When you're on the wrong track, this pattern becomes repeated. It becomes enslaving. It becomes addicting. He will die for lack of instruction. In the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. The promiscuous man, the promiscuous woman, it becomes habit-forming. It becomes enslaving. So, there is nothing stolen or secret between a man and a woman in marriage. The narrative description, let's be clear on this, the narrative description of Asheth Kisiluth is not judgmental of her personality. When we say that she's boisterous, we're not saying that a gregarious, outgoing woman is, is, you know, a loud woman is necessarily unbiblical. Okay? Don't confuse the issue. I've known many women that the voice carries, all right? That they're not shy about their personality, very outgoing. Very, and I've known men that are very reserved, that are very quiet. This is not judgmental of her personality, but a clear indication of her unstable soul and its manifest expression in her agnostic death style. It's not a lifestyle. It's a death style. They call it a lifestyle. And I'm not supposed to judge them for their lifestyle. It's just an alternative lifestyle. They tell me that their lifestyle is is just as valid as my lifestyle. But mine's a lifestyle and theirs is a death style. They also claim agnostic uh, uh, in their ignorance. It's shattering to me how many people just love to stand up and say, yes, I'm ignorant. How many agnostics have you met? (laughs) You know? They say, well, I'm agnostic. I'm sorry. I can help that. I can provide the information to remedy your ignorance. But you don't want it. That's the thing. You're willfully agnostic. You've got this agnostic death style and you're loving every minute of it. Okay? Called the passing pleasures of sin. Again, I think these details here spell out more we don't want to. We want to be cautious. Uh, yes, the the adjective there for boisterous, or or, or uh, loud, rowdy. Okay, it, it's far beyond just simply a, a uh, description of, of of mannerisms or personality. Where am I headed here? Proverbs nine. Because that's the that's the description of it in verse thirteen, and then a little bit expanded in verses seventeen and eighteen. Uh, it is a death style. Come on, it'll be fun. It'll be pleasant. Well, anything stolen, there's somebody that was stolen from, which means there's multiple victims in this chapter. And, and there's going to be some unhappy people at, at what you're doing to find your happiness. And so there's going to be repercussions and consequences. Someone wants vengeance. When's that going to happen? All right. And, well, if it's secret, why are you keeping it secret? And what happens if that secret is exposed? What are those consequences? Is that in the fun, or does that create, uh, what happens then? And then he does not know that the dead are there. Plural. Her guests, plural. Guess what, schmuck? You're not the only one. All right? 
there's, there's a bunch of guys in, before you and there's a bunch of guys after you. And probably a whole pack of guys at the same time as you. Juggling this and that and whatever else. Her guests are in the depths of Sheol. And this is what's going to get expanded later in chapter 14 and in chapter 16. And this is a principle that comes back again and again. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It's Proverbs 14, 12. You know, and hey, it seems right. It's right for me. Why are you so judgmental? The end thereof is death. Can you at least acknowledge that? If you pursue this lifestyle, you're taking 20 years off your life. You know, smoking only takes 10 years off your life. This is twice as bad. 16.25. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. See, finally, why are you even, I mean, what are you throwing away? Right? What are you throwing away? We ask that with any sin. You know, when you consider that the passing pleasures of sin are not, can't even be compared to the eternal reward, the eternal way to glory, you know, what am I going to throw away? What am I going to lose? I'm going to lose my ministry. I'm going to lose my marriage. I'm going to lose my children. I'm going to lose my self-respect. I'm going to, well, I don't have much of that anyway. I'm going to lose, uh, what, what else am I going to lose? What am I going to throw away? Eternal reward. And, and, and all of that I'm going to throw away for what? For one night of stupid? For what? And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to pursue a relationship with Kissy, with Kissy Luth here. Really? What are the long-term prospects for this woman? Is this what I'm really looking for? You know? Are we, we going to walk hand-in-hand hand down the street you know, across the, you know, to the park or whatever, and when we're in our 80s, um, Sharon, there's a couple in our neighborhood that do that, and we kind of smile when we see them, right? Because we don't intend to get that old. We're hoping a trumpet comes long before that anyway. But, but this couple, you know, they, they, they shuffle, and they're not very fast, but they evidently don't have, they're not in a hurry to get anywhere anyway. Let's see, who, who are we looking for? Who do we want to spend our life with? It's the woman of excellence. It's not the woman of folly. We ought to be looking for Asheth Chayil. Asheth Chayil. And to me, this is, this is a beautiful term. I love this. A feminist will hate this. That's okay. I'm not here to make friends with them. Chayil. The Chayil is the, is the man of valor, a man of might. The Gabor HaChayil is the mighty man of valor, the combat warrior, which in the Hebrew Old Testament is described as David or as mighty men or someone that goes toe-to-toe with a giant or someone that goes down in a pit and kills a lion on a snowy day or, or whatever. We have countless, countless descriptions of a Gabor HaChayil, a mighty man of valor. We also have in the Old Testament the same adjective, Chayil, attached to an Asheth, attached to a woman. And a woman of Chayil is not a woman trying to be a man. Is not a woman killing a lion in a pit on a snowy day or going head-to-head with a, with a, a giant or trying to be a, a frontline combat soldier. In other words, the, 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 the militant feminist, uh, feminine movement that said, not feminine, uh, feminist, feminist, 
feminist is not feminine. You got that, right? The militant feminist movement that says a woman can be everything a man can be just flies in the face of biology and reality and scripture and everything else that says there is the masculine design role and the feminine design role. And I love the fact that the Eshet Chayil uses Chayil as its adjective. All right? Because a woman of excellence, the, the mighty, if we have the mighty man of valor, what, what's the mighty woman of valor? I think you just spent a weekend learning that, right? In the ladies' retreat, the woman of excellence. And the descriptions that we have of the woman of excellence, uh, she's hard to find. So when you found her, you've got a treasure from the Lord. When you found her, man, thank the Lord and grab her quick. (laughs) Okay? Why do you think I proposed to Sharon so quickly when I first met her? Man, I was going overseas for six months. I didn't want someone else getting her. So here's some scriptures. Proverbs 12, 4. An excellent wife, that's the Asheth Chayil, is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. Uh-oh. See, there's two kinds of women. There's Asheth Chayil and there's Asheth Kisiluth. And eventually, the stolen secret shenanigans of Kisiluth, they come to shame. The party ends sometime. That's Proverbs 12.4. How about Proverbs 18.22? He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I use this in my wedding services. You know, God's provision, the will of God for who you married, who he designs for you, and who he designs you for. And the favor, the grace from God. What a provision. So he who finds a wife finds a good thing. How how rare is that? It's getting more and more rare. I'm starting to wonder in the next generation, who are our kids going to marry? Is there anybody that loves truth anymore, that's living for the Lord? All right. 1914. House and wealth. Oh, this is kind of fun. I I, I caught a a verse prior to verse 14 with my eye. (laughs) On the way to verse 14, you can read verse 13. A foolish son is destruction to his father, and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping Look out. All right. I will find a safe way to preach that before we get to chapter 19. It's a fun one to teach in a ladies' class. Uh, Chapter 15, or verse 15 then. No, verse 14. House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers. You know, think about it. What does your grandfather pass to you? What does your father pass to you? What does, you can, you can receive things from previous generations. But a prudent wife is from the Lord. The woman of excellence, the Eshet Chayil, the prudent wife, is from the Lord. Chapter 31 and verse 10. We all know Proverbs 31, right? Memorize this in the Hebrew, and uh, you helped out a little bit by the fact that it's an acrostic psalm. So you have Aleph. Verse 10 starts with Aleph, verse 11 starts with Baith, verse 12 starts with Gimel, and you work your way through the Hebrew alphabet. It's like Psalm 119. It's an acrostic psalm. And so little Hebrew girls could memorize this, uh, this, this poem um, by working their way through the alphabet. But the Eshet Chayil, who can find? 
you realize the question who can find is somewhat rhetorical, but in, in the, the rhetorical nature of that question, the indication is that it's rare, that it's valuable, that it's a treasure. Okay? Remember, value is based on scarcity. Value and price and value are based on scarcity. If, uh, you know, if <laughs> the difference between leaves and gold, you know, you can find leaves anywhere. All right? You can find leaves anywhere. If I can go out here in the front yard and grab a bunch of leaves off the tree. And I'm, can I walk into the HEB and buy stuff? All right? <laughs> no. They're going to look at my pile of leaves and say, that's not worth anything. If it's everywhere, what, what value is it? Just chuck it and get some more. But if it's not everywhere, you see what I'm saying? The more the scarcity increases value. Always has, always will. Eternally. That's not even a human factor. That's a, that's a universal factor. That applies to God Himself. That's why the once and for all sacrifice of the only begotten Son is the infinite price that's ever been paid, ever could be paid. There is no other God-man, sinless Lamb of God. And so who can find? Her, her value is far above rubies. All right? Far above rubies. Song of Solomon, chapter 6. Which is amusing to me. Because he's smitten. He's absolutely smitten at Shulamith, at this woman. And he understands how valuable she is. But look at this. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and maidens without number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique. You know, we see how Solomon destroyed his soul. He's eventually headed for a thousand. He's still pretty young in the process here. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and maidens without number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique. You know, when a man tells you that you're the only one, that's special, if it's true, <laughs> okay? If he's lying through his teeth telling you, oh, you're, you're the only one, or oh, none of those other girls were like you, or oh, whatever, whatever, whatever. Ask yourself, really? There's 60 and there's 80, and what am I? 141 on the list? What is this? Oh, but you're special. She is her mother's only daughter. She is the pure child of the one who bore her. The maidens saw her and called her blessed. The queens also, and the concubines also, and they praised her, saying... Now, admittedly, there's a harem dynamic at work here that we're not comfortable with and we don't totally understand. But these women know that, that there's, a new, there's a new queen bee in this hive, Okay? There's a new uh, number one wife, okay? And they're, they're all getting demoted because Shulamith has taken the number one spot until the next one comes along, <laughs> okay? He didn't stop with 141. That's what makes this book so tragic. And also, by the way, why you have to have three characters, not two. The shepherd lover is not the king. Solomon is not the shepherd lover. The shepherd lover is the one she wants to escape back to when she wants to get out of Solomon's harem. Anyway, I'll teach Song of Solomon someday. Asheth Chayil is hard to find, and a life spent with her will have no regrets. 
no regrets. Again, back to Proverbs 31. The heart of her husband trusts in her. An excellent wife who can find her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. You know, but the promiscuous lifestyle, the party lifestyle, moving on from one to the next to the next, polar opposite of what we see here. So a life spent with her will have no regrets. However, on the other hand, Asheth Kisiluth can be found everywhere. (laughs) There are silly women all over the place. Job told his wife, you're speaking like one of the silly women. Okay? In Job 2 and verse 10. Also Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 28. You know, there's no shortage of of, uh, folks there that you want to stay away from. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 28. Verse 27, Behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher, adding this one thing to another to find an explanation, which I'm still seeking, but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand. In other words, to rise to his level, someone that Solomon would respect, based on who his dad was, who he is, who his family is, his wealth, his achievements, his wisdom. Only one man in a thousand measures up to his standard. I have found one man in a thousand, but I've not found a woman among all these. Wow. You talk about a man that's destroyed his soul, that has so devastated his soul with with, um, um, promiscuity. Women that you can't count women. And, And then how do you respect them? How do, you, how do you find one as a peer, as a companion, as, as someone that you respect them and they respect you and you fellowship in the, in the Word of God? When all women are, is just disposable. Interesting that he uses thousand there because that's the, the women that he married. Behold, I found only this, that God made men upright, but they've sought him any devices and goes on to other things. It's, it's an ugly book, is Ecclesiastes. Asheth Kisiluth can be found everywhere, and time spent with her will have nothing but regrets. Time spent with her will have nothing but regrets. In some respects, this woman is so unstable that uh, Knucklehead actually is kind of, it's actually to his benefit to get away from her. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Proverbs 12 and verse 4. We have to wrap this up. But some of these are enjoyable verses as well. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. We read that already. Uh, chapter 21, verse 9 and verse 19. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Yeah, this is the first man cave. This is the, let me find a corner of a roof somewhere. You see, he's hiding. He figures she's, he's not, she's not going to find him there. And in a house shared with a contentious woman. Verse 19 of the same chapter. It is better to live in a desert land than in a contentious than with a contentious and vexing woman. Over to chapter 27 verses 15 and 16. A conscious 
constant dripping. <laughs> a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. Like, when is it going to stop? <laughs> okay? Like all that rain we had last week. He who would restrain her restrains the wind. So good luck with that. And grasps oil with his right hand. So good luck with that. Okay? Slippery. Anyway. You know, (laughs) you ever read Thomas Hobbes? You ever read his Leviathan philosophy? Anyway. He describes the life of man as solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. (laughs) It's a marvelous quote. It's one of my favorite quotes of all secular quotations. Solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. And to me, now he was talking economically, but I think that's the illustration for Eshath Chayil, I'm sorry, for Eshath Kisiluth. This unstable life of Eshath Kisiluth, or Ish Kasil, you turn it to the masculine gender, the, the, the foolish man, Ish Kasil. Solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. God has designed us with a the wife of your youth, a companion of your youth, to, to you are heirs together of the grace of life. All right? And that's what he's designed. And without that, without the stability, without, you know, if you don't leave father and mother and cleave to one another, what are you? Just this loose cannon? This free wheel, this wandering rogue, <laughs> what are you? Well, Proverbs describes it with Asheth Kisiluth. Thomas Hobbes describes it as solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. By the way, his, his solution for that is law, government, society. That's why humans band together in, in society, so that we can be civilized. Because without government, without law, without order in a culture, we, re- we resort back to this. And I think we're on the verge of doing that in our culture. We have riots in the streets. We have attacks against the rule of law. We're going to have to take matters in our own hands. And when that happens, if the rule of law breaks down, what is it? That's right. Father, I thank you for parental wisdom. I thank you for Proverbs chapters 1 through 9. I rejoice in what you have provided. I pray that we might learn from these lessons and uh, spend a lifetime learning them, living them, and passing them on to our children, to our grandchildren. Father, it's vital, and it's the only hope our nation has is if your children get positive to doctrine, if we can once again be salt and light. But if a land loses its salt, will it ever be salty again? Father, uh, I just pray that you would continue to provide. And in the meantime, show us your faithfulness, Father, that we not lose heart. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.